A report prepared by the U.S. Navy for the Department of Defense stated that more than 40,000 American Indians left their reservations during World War II to serve in ordnance depots, factories, and battlefields. American Indians also invested more than $50 million in war bonds and contributed generously to the Red Cross and the Army and Navy Relief Societies. The Institute for American Studies reports that Native Americans had the highest ratio of servicemen of any ethnic minority or the white majority, with 42% of the eligible adult Indian males serving in World War II. Furthermore, 40% more Native Americans voluntarily enlisted than had been drafted. Why then are there so few resources documenting Native Americans' role in World War II, especially the European theater? That's what Brett Godfrey wanted to know. The son of a naval officer and the member of the Potawatomi tribe in Oklahoma, Brett wanted to teach the sacrifices made by his forefathers and those of many of his students at the American Indian Magnet in St. Paul, Minnesota. After finding no curriculum and no mention of American Indians' World War II contributions in Minnesota's social studies standards, Brett decided to create his own resources using a Fund for Teachers grant. Welcome to Fund for Teachers, the podcast. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. Today, we visit with Brett Godfrey on his commitment to educating students about American Indians' patriotism and participation in the European theater of World War II. The impact of Navajo code talkers in the Pacific theater gained some attention after a 2002 movie starring Nicolas Cage. And in 1964, Johnny Cash wrote a song about Ira Hayes, a member of Arizona's Pima tribe, who helped raise the flag on Iwo Jima. But neither of those resources could anchor a curriculum, and neither mentioned the European theater. The day of our visit, Brett was supposed to begin his research in France, Belgium, and Luxembourg museums and cemeteries, where he would bless the spirits of those who never returned home. Instead, he joined me for a discussion, accompanied by his wife, Deb, also a Fun for Teachers fellow, who observed life in Southeast Asia refugee camps from which many of her Hmong students immigrated. My first question for you is around your experience as a child and as a student. You grew up the son of a naval officer and a member of the Potawatomi tribe in Oklahoma. So those are two very unique cultures. And I'm curious about how that combined for your education as a young child. Sure. Well, I'll back it up a little further. My, my grandfather worked for the BIA, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Even though he was white, my gra- he married my grandmother, who was native uh, down in Oklahoma. And so they've traveled all over, and they moved all over, Arizona, uh, Nebraska, South Dakota. So my dad uh, was born on the Navajo Reservation in Window Rock. He joined the Navy. He worked for Rickover, who was a father of the nuclear Navy, figured out how to put nuclear reactors on submarines and ships. He worked for him for five years designing propulsion systems for aircraft carriers. So he lived in Washington, D.C. for five years. He decided to go into the submarine service. And so he went into that. He was an engineering officer for two submarines and also an executive officer for another submarine, which is a second in command. So I moved about, went to nine different schools before I graduated from high school. Connecticut, South Carolina, a couple times in Virginia. I saw a lot of things, a lot of history. We lived in, we were real close to some of the major historical events of our country. So probably had a big part of why I like history as much as I do. 
Do you find that your your students connect with you in a different level because you are from an, uh, the Potawatomi tribe? It gives me an in with them. It gives me an angle to to visit some of you know, some of our cultural aspects of our lives. And first, you wouldn't. Know, you know, I mean, I don't have a lot of native features, if you will. I got artifacts in my room that pertains to you know my family background. My uncle was a vice president of Haskell University, which is a a Native American school down in Lawrence, Kansas. So I got articles about him up. A little side note, we were uh, redoing our school. They're putting $53 million into a rebuild of our school, trying to put it more towards our Native culture. But the architects spent a lot of time with meetings, bringing in different groups in the community. What do you want in the school to represent? How would it reflect our community? And so they've doing a good job and just started it this this spring uh, it will be a four-year project what gaps were you seeing in your students learning and in your social studies curriculum when you were starting to think about a fund for teachers grant and how did you arrive at this unique fellowship that you designed well nothing in the world war ii minnesota standards about native americans or now you even think about the, the navajo code talkers and well that's why i got my grant and that's why you know we need to fill that gap in if you will so, of course, you know, the, the code talkers, they, they certainly have information on them, but there isn't a whole lot in, in the European theater. I like going through cemeteries and looking at seeing their family connections and things like this. And so I've kind of taken that aspect and then so I wonder how many Native Americans are buried in those cemeteries that haven't been honored, haven't been recognized. Um, so let's kind of start, start piecing things together, mm -hmm. came up with this idea. So your wife received a Fund for Teachers grant five years ago. Did she proof your proposal for you? She did. And uh, we have another couple friends. In fact, she grew up in Pipestone, Minnesota, which is where the stone for the peace pipes are quarried. So we got talking with them one night. I shared my, my idea with them and they got interested in it. Both of them are, they do a lot of um, editing for, for the state of Minnesota. They were editing things. My wife was editing things. Uh, and our daughter, our daughter is, uh, she has a, a degree from university, university of Minnesota Morris. One of her degrees is Indian studies. Really? Yes. And so she just got a job with a, a school district to South of us, a suburb, American Indian liaison, family liaison person. She dove in on it too with you know some more of the cultural aspects of things. And so we bounced things off of her. And so it's, it's been a team effort. That's great. That's great. Tell me more about what you plan to do, Brett, on your fellowship. Well, in fact, we would have left today. Oh, you would have left today. We would have left today. So mm -hmm. anyway, we would have flown into Paris and headed uh, over to the Omaha Beach, uh, Normandy for a couple of days and dive into the, the museums and things like this and try to pull artifacts. And, and then we were going to go to Belgium. Uh, there's another cemetery. There's 25 cemeteries, U.S. American cemeteries uh, throughout the world. And I, I forgot how many exactly are in Europe. There's probably at least 10 or 15, I think. So we're going to go to Belgium, uh, also find some more. Uh, the Battle of the Bulge, some of those soldiers are buried there. And then also down to Luxembourg, there's another cemetery down there that we'll spend a couple of days investigating, honoring the blessing of the tribal members. And so, Brett, tell me about the blessings that you intend to, to carry out on the graves of the fallen American Indian soldiers. There's a, uh, a tobacco sage put in your left hand. Uh, you can 
uh, it's also in a pouch, and you, you say a blessing over them. Or you can go into the cemetery and do it before you go into for the whole cemetery. It's thinking good thoughts yeah. and and honoring the, the sacrifice that they made and the that they didn't get to come home. Their spirit is in a foreign land. It's a big part of the culture, bringing them back home. And of course, for some, it didn't happen. There were two individuals whom you will be researching and, and of whom I did not know. Charles Shea and then uh, Sergeant Perry Skinnendorand. Charles Shea was the, the Native American that was one of the last Native Americans from the World War II. And he actually did the entire blessing of the monument um, at Normandy. The, the, the Native American Memorial at, at Normandy. So he, he had a big part on. So he's, as far as I know, he's still alive. That uh, memorial was just erected a couple of years ago. Yeah, if I'm, my date's right, I thought it was 2017. The code talkers were more in the Pacific theater, and they were very instrumental in breaking the codes of some of the Axis powers. But tell me about the role of American Indians in the European theater. There's not much out there. Hmm. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of books and things like this. We did find a great documentary. Uh, it's a PBS called A Warrior Tradition. And they actually go back to World War One, where they talked about their sacrifices when World War One uh, was so profound that the government said, you know what, maybe we ought to think about making them citizens of their own country. And again, you know, in, the, in our grant, we talked about how they are, the percentages of representation in the military is significantly larger than any other population. And this, this video, Warrior Tradition, they really dive into why, what's in their hearts when they join the military. It's that warrior tradition that goes back generations. Uh, Americans that were interviewed talked about, we lost this land once. We don't want to lose it again. We're protecting our homeland, even though we're marginalized. Very strong tradition. And then they talk about the powwows and they come back to the powwows and how it's supposed to re, it's supposed to heal them. We bring them back into the community because they talked about this, what it does to the psych of being in war. And I would say broken, but yeah, some are. That's why in, in powwow ceremonies, they're the lead, the, the flags and, and honor the military um, with songs and dance to bring them back, to heal them and bring them back into the community, kind of reset them, if you will. And that's interesting because you plan on doing something similar for a spring community culture night in a powwow gallery style walk. Our school, I think, represents about nine tribes in Minnesota and Wisconsin. There are the Woodlands tribes and the Prairie tribes. One night in the fall, it's the Woodlands. And then in the spring, it's the Prairie. And students um, make artifacts on certain topics that deals with either the woodlands or the prairie. During school hours, they set it up in the hallways and then the students will pray through. We have four stories and the students will, the kindergarten will come up through the middle school and they see our artifacts and our displays and students can explain it. And then that evening, there's one for the whole family, the whole community to come in. We set it up in the gym and the cafeterias and then the, the entryway. But in the spring, uh, near the end of the school year, is a huge powwow. Other schools will come in. Sometimes some of the suburbs will come in and, and they're invited to come in. Any communities members will come in. And it's, uh, it's an all-day event. And you wanted your students because so many of your students are drummers 
singers and dancers and there's actually classes there yeah you wanted them to understand the military why the military is first in the powwow right so well yeah they'll bring service members people who maybe have served in the military they're in someone will be in their uniforms they're the first one they will be entered into a powwow carrying the flags and then there's also a special song and dance to honor those veterans and uh, warriors what level of understanding do you find that your students have currently about the native american participation in world war ii since you said it's not in the curriculum at all any working knowledge of this topic or the sacrifices i it's, it's very little it, 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 there's a huge gap there. You know, it's not just World War II, it's World War One and, and Korean War and all this, but no, I think it's, it's, it's kind of news to people when they find out that they do have the high percentage uh, of being veterans. And, and it's also the video, they also talk about this, uh, the warrior tradition, uh, tradition. There's a lot of gaps here. There's yeah. a lot of holes that need to be filled, if you will. Anyway, hopefully with this grant and the information that we pulled together and the artifacts that we pulled together, that we can start addressing some of this. The 2019 documentary to which Brett referred is called The Warrior Tradition. The PBS website offers a community and education discussion guide, lesson plans, a free link to the film, and bonus videos. Visit pbs.org slash WNED slash warrior dash tradition for more information. We're learning from Brett Godfrey, middle school social studies teacher at the American Indian Magnet in St. Paul, Minnesota. This special school was founded by tribal elders and community members to provide an American Indian perspective and welcome students of all backgrounds to a diverse school community. The son of a Naval officer and member of Oklahoma's Potawatomi tribe, Brett designed a fellowship to document the contributions of Native Americans to the European theater of World War II. You talked about in your proposal the importance that students appreciate what American Indians have done and your culture's unique stories and and the contributions. Why is that something that you feel like would change the trajectory of of your students' learning and and lives? I think it gives them a sense of pride. It gives them a sense, you know, that, yeah, even though we've been marginalized, almost genocide, we, we still love this, this land. We're protecting it. We're, we're still going to protect it. And we're not, like I said, we're not gonna, we lost it once. We don't, shouldn't lose it again. You know, this whole idea of the school, I'm trying to think at least 25 years old, this concept of, of a magnet school for Native Americans, because there was this huge gap culturally, the language, um, the arts, the music, or the Twin Cities has the largest metropolitan area of Native Americans in the country. I think there's more that we can do, we should do, we should be doing. This would be a small part, I guess, but going back to that renovation, I think that's gonna be a big push too, to, to the building we're in, it's pretty, pretty appalling. You know, it's a 1924 building, it's run down. And it's kind of interesting because there was talk at one time they over budgeted uh, for other buildings in St. Paul. And so they were talking about pulling the funding for our school and our principal, got up in front of this, this school board and said, you know, this is probably not one community. Do you want to make a promise and back off of it? And I think that had a profound impact on the, the decision to continue to go forward on it. So I think as this thing, as this new school starts to develop, it would be a, a strong uh, source of pride for our families and our community. 
Can students of any background attend, or is it solely for students of American Indian heritage? Good question. It's open for all. 13% of our students are Native. A lot of Hmong students, Southeast Asian students, mm-hmm. uh, African American students, Hispanic students. We're a diverse, a diverse school. How do you find that that diversity responds to the American Indian story? Those populations have such a distinct story themselves and and one of such struggle and marginalization. I was curious how they responded to each other. Are they more individualized about their heritage and their cultures? The middle school is a a very small middle school. We only have about 250 students. And so they're very close. We got arms around each other going down the hallways. I mean, it's it's, it's, Mm -hmm. the other cultures have accepted it. They, They join in on it. Sometimes they're pushed back on the language requirements. We have to take a Dakota language or an Ojibwe language, and there might be a little pushback on that. But they all kind of come together. I mean, it's just... uh, After my fellowship was done, my co-teacher and I partnered with Brett on a Native American unit for our mostly Asian students. They visited our school and did a powwow, and then we went to the spring powwow. And all of the Asian students specifically told us the music, the drums, and the regalia reminded them of their own culture. So there was more of a connection there than one would ever think. That gives me a little bit of hope. <laughs> I guess we can just end with hope. What What do you hope to accomplish with this, Brett? What do you hope to see when you bring back your findings, uh, your research, your artifacts, and you begin to create the first curriculum that addresses the contributions of American Indians in World War II for, for Minnesota. Making the powwows more significant, students are being kids. You know, they, they're kind of talking and visiting, kind of not really getting deep into it. And so that'd be part of it, kind of helping help strengthen their ties with the powwows and social pride and connecting with other students, the other cultures in our school. And um, there's also a multicultural center, center. Uh, is at one of the high schools um, where we could present artifacts and a display. Um, so that was spread out through the districts. And um, you had also talked about because Virginia, our daughter is just kind of opening the door in this suburban district because she's a graduate of St. Paul and was one of the first to be a a liaison to the after-school program and whatnot to now get it to bleed into a suburb that is very white. But there is a native population down there too. And she'd reached out to us or me and said, Dad, what are some resources in World War II? And I was I haven't seen many. She's also researched it for her end of it. And she said, yeah, Dad, I can't find anything either. If the State Department of Education fill that gap in there. Yeah, I think the decolonization of curriculum has a new importance and is getting so much increased attention. And that doesn't just mean for the African-American or the Black community, obviously. And the fact that you could introduce this aspect of American Indians' contributions to World War II, particularly when it reminds me of the Buffalo Soldiers also, that that these marginalized communities stood up and were ready to defend the country that had maligned them for generations. Sure. 
Sure. Quite a commitment of your family. I know that your father and your grandfather and your uncle must be so proud of the legacy that you're carrying on. Well, they laid a good base for me. Hopefully I can build on that. We look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from almost 9,000 Fund for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you to Fund for Teachers fellow Brett Godfrey for sharing with us today about his plans to research the contributions of Native Americans to the European theater of World War II. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining us today at Fund for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning.